0: Good afternoon, gentlemen. Here's your menus. And welcome to Diner
1: Discussions.
0: This episode has bad words.
2: What's up, everybody? My name is Josh. Over here to my right, we have Aaron Ace Allison. What's and directly her? across from us, we have Mr. Brian uh, White. Yes. <laughs> so, how we like to begin each episode is uh-huh. the guest gives us kind of a Cliff Notes uh, version mm. of themselves or the story.
1: Well versed in Cliff Notes. There you go. Read a lot of Cliff Notes when I was in school. Uh, My name is Brian White. Uh, The thing I'm most notably known for is being a singer-songwriter. I play in a band called the Dan Quails. uh, And I also just finished doing a solo record, my second solo record, uh, yeah, here in Oklahoma City. I went to school at OCU uh, at the Entertainment Business School and Lacey School of American Dance and Arts Management at OCU. Graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Entertainment Business. And I started uh, doing engineering work, which sucked, and I was good at but hated. <laughs> and I got uh, laid off and I got unemployment for about a year, and I started uh, the band and started pumping all that. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. We went all over the world and had a really good uh, couple of records. Uh, our first one went on to a lot of charts, Texas charts, mm-hmm. Texas country. And down in Texas they call it Texas country up here they call it red dirt
0: yeah
1: uh, we also did the folk uh, the Americana charts and we actually debuted uh, really well on those charts and got all the way to like number three or something we were above Willie Nelson for a week because oh, that's wow. oh that's awesome I mean you don't <laughs> know that's you awesome yeah so I, there was a lot of uh a lot of stuff like that but yeah that's what I do that's me yeah seems like there's a lot of
2: artists that like they'll start off doing something and then they'll completely go
1: left and do I'm something. So <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of the name of the game because you sit at those jobs. I know because I did it for years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five years at least uh, off and on, in between going to school and all that. Uh, you start off there and you're just thinking the whole time. I remember I would sit in my office at Frankfurt Short Bruiser uh, which is an engineering firm in Oklahoma City, and we were in the Paragon building, it's right where 235 uh, crosses with I-44, and I would hear this guy at 3 o'clock every day <laughs> blow by on this motorcycle, and I would sit in my in my cubicle, clicking my mouth, and think, <laughs> God, there has to be something else. Yeah. Absolutely. And I knew what I wanted to do from the time I started learning how to play guitar. From as soon as I got a few chords under my belt. Was, that was it. How old were you when you started? Uh, I think I took my first lesson when I was 15. i mm-hmm. uh, from a cat named Gary Turley, who is a, kind of a local legend in Shawnee. He was a uh, session guitar player in yeah. Nashville in the 1970s. Oh, wow. Played uh, Bandy the Rodeo Clown. That's we played awesome. played on all these really weird releases, and a lot of time was, wasn't was even credited. Uh, yeah. But he was a, a brilliant teacher and a hell of a dude He taught me how to... How to play guitar and he taught me how to how to feel music and how to hear music and know what was happening with it without having to read it on a page the concept of music on a page to me is as foreign as you know absolutely reading mandarin or something yeah. like. it's just <laughs> not it's not a thing but i i yeah i took guitar lessons from him and my stepbrother was taking drum lessons from his wife so my my dad uh, kind of stuck us in at the same time which much to their chagrin all we did was just play loud as as hell all day. yeah <laughs> uh and all night and just we played that once we found it we loved it and, yeah yeah so it became my thing that's my life and it is a, it's a strange odd twisted sort of existence yeah but i it, i wouldn't have it any other way i can't Absolutely. can't go back
0: that's what i was gonna ask is you know like as someone who uh, is an entrepreneur and found out that i can make money mm-hmm. without going to a standard nine to five oh, it's man. extremely hard to even think about going back
1: oh dude i could not if i went back to a nine to five job i would last maybe three or four hours yeah yeah because the first time someone told me to do something i didn't want to do and i just have to tell them to go expletive themselves yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's a whole different world yeah. when you're your own boss yeah
1: you know? well yeah no, I do wake intervals. up till noon usually. <laughs> 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 I got up early for this. Well, <laughs> we thank you. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, I'd say I got up early. It's, it's, it's one thing if you, you know, have a regular sleep schedule. Yeah. I'm still a musician and, and even though with the wildly, rapidly changing world in which we live and gigs are increasingly rare, that's still what I am and that's all I'll ever be. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm really okay with that. Yeah. So I've noticed that um,
0: it seems like quarantine has really brought out the creative bug in a lot of musicians lately. Certainly. I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, like Facebook Live yeah, sessions.
1: Well, it gives you an excuse uh, to, like, I'm kind of of the, the school of thought that, like, I, any excuse that you can have to like, well, I got it. Dude, I got it right now. I yeah. mean. And that's good. That'll light the fire under under anybody. Because what what the hell else are you gonna do? Watch Netflix again? Yeah. I don't watch TV a lot. TV is yeah. not, uh, you know, I know a lot of my generational peers who grew up with TV is kind of a thing, and I, I watch it still sometimes when I'm eating or before I go to bed. But it doesn't it doesn't consume my life like a lot of people yeah. that I know. Yeah. And I there's just way way too much stuff to do. instead of watching someone else do it i'd rather do it
2: it definitely feels like our generation is peeling away from television and stuff like that you
1: know yeah well yeah like certain certain uh you know rebels within the uh the ranks are kind of trying to find creative ways to spend their time instead of destructive ways or instead of just just passing it like i think passing time is one of them one of the greatest crimes uh, a human can commit is just killing yeah. time. You know? uh-huh. so, and being in a band, there's a lot of killing time. Yeah. But as a songwriter, that's that's where I go in, in inward. I turn turn inward and write in there. I don't write with a notepad or a guitar. I don't have to. But mm-hmm. I have a brain machine that makes everything uh, that I ever write and hear. I can hear it all with a band. I could hear it. With nothing i can hear it with a cello if i want that's awesome it's a cool thing to have is and it's one of my superpowers that i was you know, gifted with uh and i use the shit out of it so i sing yeah. everything if i need to remember something uh i know if you go to paul howlson's tavern in steven springs colorado and you want to get in the back door where the bands load in there's a keypad and you have to press 2428 star <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, uh, yeah. I remember that. And I, I remember things with music, and so I've, I have a musical brain, and I've picked up a good, good damn career to use it for. Yeah. yeah. So who are your main influences as far as music? Man, there's so many. Um, everything I've ever you know really taken a, a shine to has influenced me in one way or the other. I think my friends uh, are the ones that influence me the most. Yeah. Uh, I've learned a lot about what I know of, about music, and popular music and the stuff that I really dig deep into and really enjoy. I learned a lot of that from John Fulbright. Uh, me and John were, uh, were all real good friends. Uh, I love John to death. One of my favorite people. And him and Mike McClure, Tom Skinner, especially uh, some guys like Bob Childers, uh, those guys taught me more about music than, than Eddie Van Halen or whatever. Yeah, and like, yeah. Eddie Van Halen's cool as shit. He plays a mean guitar. But yeah. Like, you know Tom Skinner
2: he doesn't tell stories with his music oh uh, man
1: it's it's a story it's all about the story and not every song is what you consider a story song but every song tells a story Yeah, and it tells your story if you're the songwriter and I think that that, I love being God in that realm Mm -hmm. and that's my thing and whatever I want to do with it if I want to make it pretty if I want to make it dirty if I want to make it loud or soft like, that's my decision. yeah um, I, that's I am God King of that world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I need that. yeah, I love it. So it's it's people call songwriting an outlet and it is to an extent, but the burden and bane of the songwriter's existence is writing the song that is so good comes from a place that is so hurtful sometimes yeah and uh, that it can really really do a number on you having to play that and if something like that ends up hitting. Me. And becoming a thing that people appreciate you know on a wide range of at a level like that then it's a thing that you have to re-experience every single night that you work for the rest yeah. of your life yeah. that's that's your burden and mm-hmm. I, it's, you have to accept it or you have to get pissed about it and kick your feet yeah you know, i've <laughs> I accepted that a long time ago. <laughs> so is this one
0: uh i had the street
1: tacos so our Perfect. food has arrived, I will describe absolutely. it for you now. The tacos are small, uh, but they look is delicious. Years, uh, yeah, they up, look up. delicious because they have stuff on them, like cheese and chicken and things. Yeah, and two sausages, one the hunter, uh, the popular, and I took the lamb sausage, which I but, may regret. I think yours. Oh, <laughs> lamb sausage, never mind, mine looks better. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This is oh, absolutely. I listened to a little bit uh, of the podcast uh, earlier today, and, I kind of tried to try to brush up. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we're learning. I yeah, mean, so we're all we all, and that's the thing. In these changing and strange times in which we live, like why not learn something new and why not branch out into a new art form or a new form of expression? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Man.
1: And we also kind of figured that the, uh, the art of
2: conversations just dying. You know, people are too worried about what's on their phones, or
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we're bringing it back. We're trying to bring it back. Cool. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, and meeting during a meal is a powerful thing too. Well, yeah,
1: like the thing is, documentation of stories and that future generations can listen to and learn from and laugh at and, and crack up over. That's the kind of thing that makes the human race immortal and like we live forever through our tales and we live forever through our songs and through our good works or our bad works or whatever like that's the concept of eternity mortality is all wrapped like I I kind of get off on the fact that maybe some kid a hundred years from now will dig up one of my records and say god damn what a good song yeah. and like man maybe he'll play it in the car and yeah. have a good time or whatever and like I feel like affecting people on that level is something that has to reverberate through through eternity or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll say they don't make
1: music like that anymore. (laughs) Man, and maybe they'll pick up a guitar and make it themselves. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and they really don't make music like that anymore. I
1: mean, it's all, I don't know, stadium country or, you know, big show kind of stuff. I listened to a lot of Bob Dylan uh, and when I got into Bob Dylan I listened to nothing but Bob Dylan for probably a year and a half I was just every time I I got in the car if I wanted to listen to music I listened to Bob Dylan and it passed thank God Uh, but I still I I love the man and appreciate his work Mm -hmm. and he has a song one of his newer songs which I'm not too into his newer material really but there's a song called Things Have Changed and like God if that ain't true Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and really really well put uh, for renewal Bob Dylan stuff and so yeah man things
0: have changed and it's, it's good to have a record it's good to have a thing that, that outlasts you yeah, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. so for those people listening um, they randomly decided to start construction working around <laughs> <laughs> so excuse all the banging playing in the background
1: uh, well that's, uh, that's what you call my luck <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been ours too
1: yeah. if it wasn't for bad luck wouldn't have any luck no. at
2: all well, it just adds to the story, you know? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, man. And, you know, uh, I got to meet Kent Finley, and I hung out at the house that Kent Finley built. It was Street Warehouse. And I met one of Kent Finley's students when I was, I was living in New Braunfels, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Rio Tripiano is a band called The Copper Chief. Uh, he's one of the best guitar players on the planet. Just a, a wild man and a, a, a madman and a beast at his instrument. And me and him lived in, this we squatted in a cabin in New for uh, about six months. And it was a good time. We were writing songs and just kind of existing down there. And I had a point. <laughs> but <laughs> I lost it. Oh, I hate when that happens. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real
2: people. Yeah. It'll happen. Yeah, we were... Doing a live feed the other day, and I was dead into this uh, story. It it just dropped out of my mind. Oh man,
1: it happens more often than not. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, it's a consequence of the uh, lifestyle and uh, consequence (laughs) of uh, being a person of the night. Yeah, traipsing about in the day. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, um, one thing that we talked about is that no listening, like, well, to the damn quills. Um, Y'all didn't sound like anybody
1: else. Yeah. That was one thing uh, that took shape really naturally, and it was a natural thing, more natural than anything I've ever experienced. And me and Gabe met. Gabe actually used to date my sister a long time ago, about 2009, 10. Mm -hmm. And that's how I met Gabe. Uh, And we started playing music together and just hanging out at the house and really locked in. And I was teaching my sister how to play at the time, uh, which was wildly frustrating for her, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm really terrible at imparting knowledge, but somehow she learned how to play and she's freaking great. She's uh, every bit of a uh, guitar player as I am, which is, uh, we have a very similar style. But uh, yeah, man, we started playing songs together because we were hanging out at the house and then Gabe had uh, a gig at the deli that had been so the movies. Uh, Stony the Roo spot uh, every, every Monday night. <laughs> Hoang Dang! Uh, so Stony had gone on to do great things and, and it was a kind of a, a fabled spot to have at the deli and Gabe was doing it by himself but it's like a three-hour s- uh, slot and he had me up one Monday night and from that point on I, I played all of the shows. Uh, we did Libby's every Wednesday as a catfish restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, every, we did uh, Moody's every Thursday in Moore. That was an old just a bar, and then we did the deli every Monday. But the deli spot was where that my songs and his songs came together with with other musicians. And it started out me and him, and, and you know sometimes we did not number the crowd on a Monday night. Nobody knew who, who the hell we were. <laughs> uh, but then. You know, Biggie started playing harp and John Knudson started playing keyboards and, and fiddles and we had four people and then we had five and we had a rhythm section and it grew really naturally and that uh, that contributed to the sound because that was the sound, that was just what it was and shows were practice and everything was practice and we played so much uh, for our entire career as a band uh, especially in the early days we were doing three weekly gigs plus two weekend gigs sometimes every weekend and we honed our craft, but the thing is, it was, you'd be surprised how many people don't realize that there were two lead singers in the band. Yeah, yeah. And two voices and two completely different songwriters mm. that did not collaborate. Like yeah. we wrote our songs individually. We brought them to the table as our songs, and that's how they work. Sounds and like the Beatles a little bit sometimes. <laughs> Kinda, and like the thing is, the songs. Just became living things. Yeah. Uh, and every time you played them, uh, every Monday a song would get a little different, and somebody would put a part in that was just, just rad and <laughs> rattled, rattled your spirit as you're playing it. And I've done every drug known to man. I've done a lot of them, uh, and I've realized i uh, over the years that I've always been chasing the the feeling of being on stage with other people mm-hmm. and that that connection and that click because there's nothing cooler than just mind melding with six other guys and you know opening some kind of rift in the space time with the things that you do and the things that you're playing and like yeah. how you're expressing yourself. And that's a thing that is wholly unique to that place and time and, and Those songs reflect a lot of that because that's that's where they came from. And I think that's a cool way to do it. We didn't ever have to worry about, like, oh, how are we going to go play this new song? We just went, we played it. And we play new songs on the fly in front of people because that was our practice. That's awesome. If you screwed it up a little, whatever. Nobody knows. (laughs) Sometimes the cool moments in the songs came from those screw ups. And that's doesn't get any better than that for, for what I'm trying to do, which I don't really know what is. I try to make a, a living and, and do what I like and not do what I have to. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um. Well, it, it's kind of like I was telling him the other day, you
2: know, that song, Turn the Page, it talks about that electricity, like you're talking mm-hmm. about. And I was kind of joking with him. I said, you know, just doing this, you know, once we're done with the show, I'm ready for the next show. You know, we feel that electricity. We're ready. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's... It's
0: a weird adrenaline rush.
1: Exactly. The best shows I've ever played, and there's so many of them. They're all different, but they're all the same. Mm-hmm. And when I think back, I mean, we played two hundred and twenty or two hundred and thirty gigs a year, or a, you know, so a lot of shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember. I remember bits and flashes of the surroundings but I just all I get is that vibe and that rush and that yeah. that feeling of like togetherness with other human beings that like you respect. And even if you don't like them, even if they piss you off and get yeah. your seat or whatever the last mm-hmm. eight hundred miles that you drove <laughs> and like you're just thinking like, oh, I really like to stab that guy. <laughs> um, you know doesn't matter. You get on a stage with somebody, and that that, that all goes away. Yeah, it, becomes, yeah. it becomes about the music and truly like at its center. That's what it is, and we were trying to make the best music we could make and just feel good about yeah. it and be proud of. It. And that's that was uh, the Quails, man, and it was magic. And it was magic, no matter who was making the music, and me, me, and Dave, and, and Tom were the, the most consistent through the years and we were the ones who were always in the band. Yeah. And if we were together, man, we could sure let it fly. Yeah. And sometimes we'd have 10 people on stage at the deli and the deli stage is not big enough for 10 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then you'd get a guest come in, Evan Felker would come up and play a song and John Fulbright would come play a song. And just whoever was around, the, the Ali Harder and Camille Harp and my sister, and it just became this thing that... Went to on a Monday night, and we started out with four people in the crowd, and we ended up selling out every Monday night for almost a year. Oh wow! At the deli, and we had a line out the door, it was just like That's awesome. and, which is amazing. Because and we were just like, God, it's so cool that something can grow like that so steadily, and you not even know it until you until you're out of it. Yeah, how really special that it was.
0: Yeah, wow. yeah. I can relate to that feeling when I used to play basketball. Um, mm-hmm. I. I don't remember, remember the crowds except for them being loud. Yep. Uh, I never...
1: It's all background noise. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and my, my mom would always be like, did you hear us yelling your name? I'm like, nope, never heard it. Yeah. I was in the zone, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't... It just fades out. Yeah. So that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Speaking of, I think one of my favorite songs from the Damn Quails mm-hmm. is uh, Fool's Gold.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I... You wrote that, correct? I did write that. Okay, yes. uh, can you kind of like uh, explain like what time period? Absolutely, you wrote I that? can.
1: <laughs> um, so, I was in a band called the Nefarious Double Clutchers with my friend Buffalo Rogers, who's mm-hmm. one of my the best songwriters, uh, best friends I've ever had. Yeah, We're pretty fond of him. Oh, are you? Yeah, he's. Uh, I'm pretty fond of him too. He's a he's a good old coot. We've had many, uh, many, uh, many, uh, many an adventure uh many uh, uh wild nights well, that's and, funny and that early morning that, that's how we kind of
0: that's the first time we actually saw you i think was yeah. in the live with buffalo oh no kidding yeah, yeah that's, that's
1: a special night yeah. i do i love that man he's one of my favorite people i met buffalo about not far from here about about a mile down there used to be a farmer's market and the arts council of Oklahoma the city was paying street performers. Uh, My friend Drew Watson started a program called Out of the Box Entertainment Mm -hmm. uh, through the Arts Council that would pay pay us lowly musicians a pretty decent paycheck to go at one o'clock in the afternoon and play for a couple hours at a farmer's market. And that's a cool, pretty thing. And I'm down there one time and I hear this, I hear this voice that is just so country and so so odd and so out of place and so awesome. And I just wander down and I see this Giant of a man, playing this, <laughs> playing this little guitar, or a tiny mandolin maybe, next. and we just kind of walked in and like, hey man, like, how about us playing on opposite ends of this this bass? We just get together in the middle and play songs. and We did. Uh, he gave me his number. I gave him mine, and I was like, hey, yeah, if you need a place to crash in the city, come by. He called me the next day, and he's, uh, I need a place to crash. And he was there for six months, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, I do. Uh, I wrote a lot of songs uh, with Buffalo and around, but he's one of the only people I've ever written with. Yeah, it takes a really like special thing for me to write with somebody, and we've done it a couple of times. Yeah, uh, I do. I love that guy, but he, uh, yeah, Buffalo. <laughs> Uh, Can you imagine guy. the band with Brian and Buffalo? Oh, no. <laughs> oh man, so yeah, and there, so that, and Joel Moseman was the other nefarious double-clutcher. Yeah. And so anyway, we were living in this house uh, on 37th Street in Oklahoma City, and I was working at the engineering firm, and I was paying the rent because I made decent money. Uh, my buddy Joel would take odd jobs, and we were basically, I needed somebody to play with. I had been playing by myself uh, since my punk band in high school broke up. Yeah. And me and my stepbrother, when we were younger, would play music uh, together, that's how I grew up playing with him and, and that kind of thing but, so the double clutches were a thing and Joel was doing odd jobs and he found a job up in Kansas that was taking down these old uh, grain elevators or silos or something and he wanders into a bar called Captain's Place in Goodland, Kansas and uh, Goodland, Kansas is he's, he's right on the, on the far western edge of Kansas and like, I don't know like a handful of miles and you're in in colorado which had i been in colorado during the incident that the song was still about <laughs> uh, it there would have been a song and yeah. so maybe that's a good thing i don't know it cost me four grand but uh <laughs> so i'm uh joel goes to this bar called captain's place and he gets the information and my brother-in-law had a band called lower middle class that i played deep guitar for and this was a perfect kind of lower middle class gig they wanted a band for four hours to play the hits Day or whatever. So yeah. Terry, the lead singer, knew some Michael Clure, and I just I was playing lead guitar and learned how to be a guitar player. And so we went up there to make some money. That he got, this guy gave us a really good deal. We go up there and play the first night. First night's a great, cool night at a weird bar in Kansas. <laughs> Second night, I'm out back with uh, Joel Mosman, who's in the, in the various Double clutchers with me in Buffalo, and I go to burn some reefer uh, because I like to smoke pot. Uh, especially, I, it makes me play music good. And now it's medicine, so we're all okay. <laughs> uh, and, and it's wonderful. I've been, I've been singing its praises for years, silently and under my breath. But, uh, now I can say it uh, at a moderate pitch. But I was uh, doing that, and the people, uh, especially the police in Kansas, not so down with uh, the reefer. Uh, and they were really not so down with the, the little bit of cocaine that I had in my uh, watch pocket. Oh, no. Yeah, I forgot it was there. I, sometimes when you're doing cocaine, uh, the, the details get lost. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm i in my mom's Ford Escape, which I wish I could have. Uh, and I am suddenly surrounded by five or six or seven <laughs> Luton County Sheriff's Department, uh, employees, officers, deputies and they knocked on the window and said open the door and i said huh (laughs) and so then i i knew i was uh not going to win the argument so i opened the door and uh, the policeman who asked me to step out of the car put my hands behind my back said uh what's that smell and i said it smells like potpourri Mm -hmm. (laughs) which he didn't think was nearly as funny as i did and so they they i i gave them the pot and uh, They searched me, they found a a tiny bit of cocaine in my watch pocket, and I went to jail. And it was in the middle of a set, so I'd gone out back on a set break, and the band has to come back and play without a lead guitar for the rest of the night, which was awesome, sure. Um, And so I go to the Clinton County Jail, which is a bad place and a bad time, and I don't recommend anyone ever uh, check it out. In fact, if you go through Goodland, Kansas, just keep going. <laughs> Don't stop. Uh, it's a horrible. Uh, they have a, a... Their claim to fame is some giant Van Gogh painting that has been repainted on the side of a wall. Oh. So, yeah, it's of a sunflower. They got those out there. Yeah. So I go to jail, and the, uh, the deputy, uh, Deputy McQuitty, which I always thought was a weird name, uh, said, uh, you know, he was booking me in. It was my first time to be arrested. I'm obviously a little freaked out. Uh, <laughs> I was such a newbie then. <laughs> uh, the, so I'm just—I'm weird out. I'm nine hours from home. Uh, I've kind of screwed. I've kind of screwed myself in a lot of ways. And I take my own responsible part in that. But uh, Deputy McQuitty said maybe uh, maybe you get back and you write a song about this. And I said maybe I will, <laughs> and I did, and it became the most popular thing that I've written to date. It, yeah. it got to number one on the Texas charts. And it was a it's a great song it's a song that I I had to go through to experience the whole song's about going to jail and about screwing up and yeah. about life and how you can be bad at it yeah. and still continue to live it uh, even though living it may kind of suck for a while afterwards <laughs> and you'd think I'd have learned uh, from my mistake but alas I am, <laughs> I am human uh, so but I did I wrote that song and <laughs> Luke Monix, who was our bass player in the Damn quails, wrote the first part of our uh, existence and a great dude, great bass player. Uh, <laughs> he uh, sent a clipping to the Goodland County Sheriff's Department oh. about the song and how the song had done so well.
0: That's hilarious. So, uh, they
1: never sent anything back, but I hope Deputy McQuinty enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. So if you're listening, <laughs> sometimes you gotta, man, like, you don't have to write every song from a place of truth and you don't have to write every song from uh, even the perspective of having knowledge about it or whatever. But some songs you have to go through to write and that mm-hmm. was one of those. And I was so upset at the time and I was so crushed and I was so sad and I was so confused and so angry. And it, it hurt and it sucked and it cost me money and I hated it. Yeah. And I would go through it a hundred times mm-hmm. for the same result. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. one of your most personal songs, you know. So. Absolutely, and you have to, uh, honesty in songwriting is is uh, one thing that I truly value and truly admire in a songwriter that can be honest. And like John Moland is a perfect example of that. Uh, John Mullen will go on stage and cut his own heart out with a knife and give it to you, and you can either take it or you can li- leave it or whatever, but that show and that experience and that song is going to make you feel something yeah. because that man felt something when he wrote it, and... Uh, there's you know that's again that's touching forever and that's mm-hmm. that's becoming so attuned to something that you've gone through and, and see the thing is people who listen to that song nine times out of ten think it's about a girl yeah they yeah. think it's about a relationship and it, that's because that's what they're going through and that's mm-hmm. their that's their burden at the yeah. time mine was addiction and going to jail and screwing up mm-hmm. and just because I felt that and you felt something else neither one of us were wrong so and that's the of the songs yeah. interpretability and being able to put yourself in it yeah. that's what makes a great song uh, yeah. it's just the best song.
0: yeah I've noticed that like it you know like as a painter or something too you know you put out your art and yeah. then people will interpret it or like authors
1: with books and then yeah. once you once you make something once you create it it's not yours it is your baby it is your baby until you until you share it with the world mm-hmm. and that kid is long gone yeah. Yeah. and it's and you have to be okay with that mm-hmm. to, be, to live with that. And I am, and I love that. And I think that hopefully of all the the wrong that I've done and the bad things and the screw ups and the being a kid and being an idiot, I hope that my scales are balanced somewhat in the, the way that I put, you know, anybody yeah. going through something that they're going through. Some song will help Absolutely. sometimes.
0: Or, it definitely you know. gets stuck in your head. Yeah, <laughs> And ain't
1: nothing wrong with a brainworm. worm. That's yeah. <laughs> what so you're always looking for, that brainworm. worm. Yeah. Uh, and man, a lot of that stuff comes from stuff I used to listen to my dad say. Or, and listening to my sister as a songwriter, my sister didn't grow up playing music with us. She was into, into her friends and sorority, and she's a pretty chick, and she's yeah. very talented. She's an artist. Uh, she did the cover for Down the Hatch. Oh, and The yeah. Two Quails, uh, my sister did that too. She's That's awesome. Wildly talented, just a great uh, great guitar player, great songwriter. I had to put out a few crappy records before I had a good one with mm-hmm. Down the Hatch. She puts out her first record uh, and, it's, and it's stellar. So, and you know, she's prettier than I am. Whatever. <laughs> uh, watching her write and experiencing her songs and getting into her songs uh, was really fun for me because she says things and I'm like, man, our, our dad used to say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, whenever we we didn't leave the door open or something, we we're going in and out, and in and out. Have, in or out. Yeah. And then she's got this she's one of my favorite songs of hers. Uh, yeah. uh, Broken lock, busted fence. There ain't no sense in fixing it if no one wants in or out. Yeah. Right? yeah. In or out. And I, I heard my dad say yeah. that. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> and the same way with my grandpa and just that kind of thing. Uh, our family heritage and our, our upbringing goes into those things, and, and to recognize that in the yeah. song is real cool. Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah.
0: So um, you said you had you just uh, put out a solo album. For your second. I am
1: in the midst of putting one out. Okay. Recorded it, and it's done, and it is. I'm exceptionally proud of it. I'm very proud. What's the name of it? Uh, I think I'm going to call it Brian White uh, in an in bank at the end. So in an uh is a Form of a punctuation that's kind of been lost in recent years, but it's a question mark. If a question mark and an uh, exclamation point had a baby, oh. that's an interrobang. Okay. So I'm gonna call it self-titled but with an intero So Something like Ryan White. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, I, I, it's something I am extremely proud of. My friends. Hello, awesome. I Helicopter! <laughs> hey, it's cool, man. Sometimes you gotta get metaflighted. I hope he's not coming from me. <laughs> he's not. Uh, probably. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like uh, grammar and I like the English language. And I was very big into grammar. I try to be very grammatically correct in all things that I do and write. I think that uh, all this OMG uh, and LOL shit is gonna be <laughs> the end of us. Uh, but... Or at least the end of applying uh, English language and being able to get your point across in a clear and concise manner. Yeah, yeah. Eh, but that's me. Yeah. Um, the, so the Intero Bank just kind of seems like a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've always enjoyed going around with the english language as far as song titles like i wanted a parenthetical country title so i put the man in the mirror and a parenthesis to grow on a plane yeah for that song and i wanted you know yeah like i've got a song on this album that's going to have two exclamation points yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's weird i do weird stuff like that to keep myself occupied yeah and i, I have a, a song on the new record that's got a 12m alliteration 12ms in a row and that kind of stuff. I, I play a game with myself to keep myself interested in writing. Yeah, I got 50,000 points for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the only one playing. Absolutely. But, yeah. I love it. I love it. So Buffalo Rogers, man, he used to play accordion on full school back in the in the double-clutcher days. Yeah. And there's somewhere, somewhere on the internet, I'm sure you can find it, there's a video uh, of a show called Rise and Shine, Oklahoma. Uh, and it was the thing they did on Channel Four, I believe. And uh, you would go in, and they would—it's uh, like 5 a.m. And they're like, "Hey, or play a song and be lively about it." <laughs> like, jeez. Uh, so we obviously had not slept. That's, you know, we did our thing and got uh, some Murder Shack chicken. There's a place called the Murder Shack. That's uh, kind of over on uh, 235 and Britain Road. It's it's called the Murder Shack because people get murdered there. But if you've got a hankering for the best chicken uh, in, in the city, then it's Murder worth Shack it's worth it. it. Yeah. 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 So we got us a Murder Shack chicken, and we went. We played that song at 5 a.m. or 6, and Kelly Ogle cut off Buffalo's uh, accordion solo at the end. Oh, because yeah. The song was a little over. Buffalo has never forgiven Kelly Ogle for that. And I hope you feel bad about, I love about what you did to him. He's a sensitive boy.
0: Just the fact that when he has this, like, yeah. vendetta against yeah. Kelly Ogle.
2: We have uh, Buffalo on on
1: a later show. We ought to get in Kelly October. Ogle. On. Yeah. Oh, you got Buffalo coming in? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We, we ought to
2: get Kelly Ogle to call in. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're bringing him. It, hey, he'd be like Burns Vargas and Mike Turpin going at it from the days of old. <laughs> I really love Oklahoma City, and Buff does, too. Buff's from Blanchard originally, but man, me, me and him both really got our, our, our uh, you know, got our, our second wind in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And like, just, I met him actually kind of almost across the street at a place, it's now called 1492, I think. Mm. And he had a band called Buffalo Fitz, him and Fitz Jennings, oh, wow. and they showed up at a show. Uh, I had a band called Airfare kind of, that was a weird thing I did in college. Uh, and I, we were playing there, and they had come in just off the road, and they come in and playing these incredible songs. And I still I still listen to the, the Buffalo Fitz record. Uh, it's got some real gems of Buffalo songwriting on there. Uh, There's one called, Purple uh, um, Hair Girls. Our Sex Pistols t-shirt. A deviated step I thought she was a lesbian, but we made out of the world. Uh, when, it, uh, when it rains, I smell the ocean. I dreamed of a girl with a purple hair. Uh, it's called the LA County Fair. Right now, I trade this old guitar. That's hilarious. He the light of the LA County Fair. Yeah, I've always uh, been so impressed with the way Buffalo uses words. And so I put a song, uh, I put uh, Rattlesnakes in the Cotton on the second Quail's album, which is Me and Buffalo composition, and he wrote Oklahoma Blue. That's really? song. Yeah. So I just put it on the record because I love it. And it would have been a hit, I think, if we'd have put it as a single, because it's just a Mm -hmm. badass song. Uh, And then on my new record, uh, I put one of his uh, called Tawny Rambler oh yeah that's just a it ended up sounding like a weird 70s disco <laughs> kind of tribute that's what it is yeah man my record is so cool and I cannot wait to share it with the world but the world is not is not uh, settled enough I think cause I, I do want to put a record out that I can't tour on yeah and I want to go out and I want to have it released I want to play and I want to Play. Yeah. God please let me play
0: again um, it's been bizarre it this. is
1: so but and it's man for me like my wheels need to roll my feet get yeah. itchy mm-hmm. yeah. and I need to see a new place and be in a new town mm-hmm. and that's what that's part of what I am now and it's hard not to do that yeah yeah,
0: yeah I can't imagine going cause like I mean there were several thousand bands that were touring and, and right in the middle of it had to stop the world
1: just stopped yeah oh, absolutely uh, my friends in the Reed Hell band uh, we're playing at Billy Bob's. Uh, the Friday night that everything got shut down, the mayor himself called uh, the guy at Billy Bob's and said, you guys can't have the show. And they were something ridiculous, like a, a few dozen tickets away from selling out. Yeah, Billy Bob's on a floor show, which is a huge game-changer of a night. And yeah. those I, I love those kids so much. They're they're great songwriters themselves. Oh, yeah. They've done very well representing Oklahoma bands out there uh, in the nation. and. and love all those kids, they got the raw end of the deal on that, and I, I can't wait until they come back, I was going to go down and hang out and <laughs> screw around play a song. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, it just it did, everything kind of, all of a sudden the world is is not what it was and may never be again, or at least for a while, so I don't know when to put my record out, but I yeah. have it and it's so good that I want to put it out. <laughs> I was thinking all the way over here, I recorded Fool's Gold and I recorded uh, a Tom Skinner's song, Call them nickels were the difference with a four-piece, just a bluegrass setup with Haystack, who's our multi-instrumentalist in the Quails, yeah. young kid uh, that plays everything and sickens and disgusts me with his talent <laughs> and, and his awesomeness. So I use him uh, every chance I get. Me and him are stage buddies. I love having him as my side man. I can I can do no wrong. relying yeah. on the wings of Haystack, uh, Kevin Foster. So he's my buddy and my friend. We sing together good too. Uh, so he played on my record. John Calvin Abney produced it. And uh, if you don't know John, John Calvin is John Moreland's lead guitar player. And has been for the last several years. And uh, Moreland could not have picked a better dude to play guitar because he's a beast. We call him Fun Kid uh, because he was so much fun just to be around and play with. Fun Kid! Uh, now he's Fun Man. He's ascended and become Fun Man. Uh, I, I was trying to find somebody I've worked with Mike McClure on a lot of cool, like we did the first Klaus record there, we started doing the second record there, and I've uh, been hanging out at at the Blue Hatch since I started hanging out there eight, nine years ago, probably a decade now, I'm old and getting older, but Mike, I take a bullet from Mike McClure, and I was going to have him produce it, and he was busy with his record, and I kind of got in the spot where I was ready to go, and so uh, I called my friend Michael Trepanier, who did my first record, right here in Oklahoma City uh, at his house in his closet with a stuffed penguin uh, and just me and some (laughs) guitars. Yeah, a long time ago, I put out a record called Temperance and Control, and it wasn't a very good album, but it was my first solo uh, attempt after my punk band days and stuff. Uh, So I went back to Mike. Mike has gone and traveled the world since then. He went to the Conservatory Academy of Recording Arts in Tempe, which is kind of a big deal. And he graduated, moved to New York City, and worked at Philip Glass's studio uh, he works at a place called the Buddy Project with Sufian Stevens has done a lot of stuff and he's really avant-garde, kinda indie artist that yeah. I'm not really uh, as into as Mike. But I've again Mike one of the guys influenced my my influence. Yeah. Uh, he would let me borrow records from his massive and well organized collection. <laughs> uh Mike is the most technical and like I don't want to say anal, because he's not anal, but organized uh dude that I've ever known. And he's so good. He's an artist with Uh, the machine with with Pro Tools and with uh, all the stuff that he has. And so he built a studio called Cardinal Song uh, that's out in Yukon. Uh, From the ground up, built it the way he wanted it, as he's always envisioned his dream studio. And I I called him and I said, I'd like to make my record there with you. And I put him and John Calvin Abney in the same room. And watching those two uh, (laughs) work and fill out, they were each other's complete, almost complete opposite. Uh, coming from a technical and from an artistic, and Mike's an artist too, but uh, just watching them fill out each other's roles and, and work together was amazing. And I didn't have to do jack crap, <laughs> uh, really. From the record, I played the song through three times. We kept, we, I sang and played at the same time, and so those two tracks were combined. So if I screwed one up, we'd have to start over and do the whole thing again. Yeah. But I didn't do a lot of screwing up, and we've got, I think, 13 songs done in four days. And then mixing took a couple of weeks, but guys, it's it's so good. I'll send you guys some clips. Okay. It's man, it's I'm really proud of it, and I can't wait, can't wait for people to have it. So I'm thinking maybe spring, yeah, of next year, yeah, will be a good time. I got a publicist that's gonna help me promote it, and they need about four months in advance to really push a record. So yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, maybe around December. January, see some press about it or something. Uh, Or it'll be a huge commercial failure. (laughs) So you You just never know. You were talking about
2: uh, this time being kind of different and everything. Do you think, like, with everyone being, you know, stuck on or at home or, you know, off the road or whatever, do you think whenever we all get back, (laughs) we'll just see a huge release of just. Yeah,
1: that's one thing. It's the. It's gonna be a. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be haywire, yeah. and it's going to be nuts. There's going to be a lot of stuff dropping, and that's you can feel it, You can feel we're on the edge of it right now because there's a lot of people posting about doing records and recording and writing, and, and it's all building up. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get a, either ahead of the wave or maybe slightly behind it, and yeah. I, I want to go ahead... A little, because I can't I can't wait any longer. It's been a long time mm-hmm. coming, and I want this record out. Mm-hmm. And it's so good, and it's so me. It's more me than anything I've ever done. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man, we did it live with a four piece man, me and John Calvin, and uh, Walt McMurray on drums, who's been the Quails drummer for the past few years. Uh, and he's a great, phenomenal drummer percussionist. And Johnny Carlton played bass, and we tracked that stuff live, and then we would lay a few things on it. And not we can choke it up with stuff it's not too busy it's not too nuts yeah so, it's rad I, I think you guys will uh, like that <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah you'll have to like when when there is concerts and stuff again we'll have mm-hmm. to find out where you're playing Definitely. oh soon. i'll let you
1: know i'm playing saturday night at Libby's if you guys want to come go yeah. to it me it's not, no, it's not no it's not,
0: no, it's not at all i'm playing
1: at eight o'clock i think and it's just me i might get a fiddle player to come play i uh, didn't even know they had live shows yeah games, yeah on the weekends now yeah uh,
2: Buffalo had a fiddle player on his last show, his last live show. Oh, I forget her name, but... Uh, she oh, no, oh, yeah, she she's fantastic. Yeah. Uh,
1: I've played with her a few times. We put her and Lane Hawkins, who's been the Quails fiddle player the last year or so, and a brilliant kid. Uh, he's, he's Haystack Jr. He's come yeah. along to <laughs> sure. Fill the big, uh, big mighty shoes of Haystack. Yeah. Uh, is still filling himself uh, with Jason Edey a lot. Huh? Uh, so we put her and Lane Hawkins together at JJ's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at Chingy's Alley, and so we had twin fiddles, and me and Buff swapping songs, and yeah. it was freaking phenomenal. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, they're both uh, have their own styles, but they play so well together. Yeah, she's a she's a, a beast, and uh, coming up in the scene, you'll there, see her a lot. There's something about fiddles that's just absolutely different. It hits a different nerve. It you know? hits a timbre that resonates inside uh, inside a lot of people, especially from this part of the country, for some reason yeah and like you just hear it and you know it and you feel it and there's something yeah. about when that fiddle he had a double stop fiddle kicking into a song is enough to, to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck yeah.
0: Yeah. one of my wife's favorite um performers is lindsey sterling mm-hmm. and just the things she can do with the violin and stuff yeah. is amazing
2: mm-hmm. i couldn't imagine dancing let alone dancing and playing a fiddle you
1: know, oh, no. well, you look like John Hartford, John Hartford used to play uh, the banjo yeah. and he would dance at the same time. They call it like hillbilly dance steps or whatever. <laughs> He's basically keeping the time with his feet mm-hmm. and playing the banjo. and, and The banjo is already
0: difficult. Yeah. yeah,
1: it is, man. My sister, oh God, the banjo, terrible instrument. Just <laughs> terrible people play the banjo. Like, they're, all, they're all degenerates, biohumans. <laughs> I had to get my sister to stop playing the banjo oh, no. and teach her guitar. Yeah, you know the uh, definition of perfect pitch is throwing a banjo in the toilet without oh, hitting no. the rim. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you know, if you play too much banjo, you get delusions of banjo, and nobody. That. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, like that kind of thing, uh, banjo and dancing. It, I can't do it. I can't. Like I can move. I move a lot when I'm on stage because I. Play I'm passionate about what I'm doing and I feel the music every time no matter how many people are in front of me or, yeah. or not Yeah. Uh, and so I, I move a lot but I can't dance for, for nothing so <laughs> not to save my life or anyone else's uh, yeah. and it's yeah, I, <laughs> I can see a lot of uh, value in that if I could do it I sure would
0: I yeah. kind of enjoy that more like in a concert than the band just standing around yes. well, it's, it's very hard to watch
1: I watched Jamie Johnson. We opened for Jamie Johnson in Texas somewhere. It's a big, giant event center. Us and Adam Hood. And, uh, man, some st- stuff happened backstage. It was a little lame, nothing nothing bad, but just like, he kind of big-timed us and everybody else a little bit, whatever. That's his prerogative. He showed up five minutes before he had to play, and his stage manager wouldn't let us stay backstage. We had to go out front, and so we watched his set. <laughs> I watched about three songs Mm -hmm. and he had a seven piece band and he came out and nothing they did was wrong, nothing they did was bad, but I was just, I was done with it by the third song Mm -hmm. because they were just standing there and they were playing fantastically, but they weren't feeling that music and when that's not happening, like it loses something for mm-hmm. me like all yeah. of it <laughs> like, There's no might control. as well
0: listen to it on the radio and well, yeah.
1: yeah might as well be at home and yeah. like, Eyes especially <laughs> now that we've all spent so much damn time at home uh, man when you go back out and I've, I've been able to play a few shows it's not like they've all gone the wayside like uh, I got to go to Turkey Texas and play with my friend Charlie Stout a few weeks ago which was just uh, a really much needed thing uh, I love that guy and I love his songs he's uh, He's also just the funniest son of a bitch I've ever known. <laughs> He's a great dude. Uh, but being on stage with Charlie, even though there was, you know, there were thirty people there, maybe twenty, and being on stage with Charlie Stout uh, electrified my spirit and made me feel good about playing music. Yeah. Uh, real good. Yeah. And just I, that's something you can't put a price on. So yeah.
0: That's
1: what does it for me. Absolutely.
0: I think some of the best concerts I've ever been to were ones where the band was like just on fire yeah. and yeah. running all over the place. And there's
1: a huge difference between watching a, a band play a great show on your TV than yeah. watching a band oh, play yeah. a great
0: show. Yeah. I've noticed that you can't ever capture the same
1: sound. Even if you get the most expensive speakers and you run the most expensive... like I did a, a, a weekly live stream thing for five or six weeks down at Caleb uh studio, Space Brain Records. Space Brain studio down in, uh, it's right outside of Ada, mm-hmm. at Lone Grove. And I would go down there, Jake Flint, who's a singer-songwriter, and great musician in his own right, uh, decided when the, the world changed that he would try his best to change with it. He gets a camera rig, an HD, like, bad mama jamma camera rig. Yeah. Takes it down to Space Brain, we run it through the board, everything's high-def, audio, video, it's a great quality show played a great show and people loved it and they, they were generous and thank god because we're all just floating out here and uh, hoping for for you know something to save us mm-hmm. and people do uh, but there's it's just it does not it doesn't translate you yeah. cannot you cannot take that kind of emotion and put it through a digital interface yeah. and expect it to come out yeah. uh, it's, on you know pure or whatever yeah. yeah
2: it's like he and I were talking about earlier just the thing about records coming back mm-hmm. uh cds and all that the digital they have that compression and you know records are better because they don't have the compression and it's that live is so much better than that because there's
1: yeah, even yeah. Less. you can get you can get uh, a little closer with records mm-hmm. and records have that frequency and that warmth that that makes music feel better than digital to me uh but you cannot get that energy of uh, of a show. Because the thing is, and they've done studies on musicians where they put guys in a room uh, with music, their instruments, and and they put caps on their head and they measure their brain waves. And there's a certain wave when when you're playing with other people and your your brain waves line up. Yeah. And th- th- if that's not telepathy, then I'm yeah. You know, Buckle mm. un- Buck one's uncle or whatever. But yeah. uh, So <laughs> when guys are experiencing that in front of like, there's no denying that energy, and there's no way that if you if you're into that music that you can feel that. And that's what that is. Yeah. That's the human connection, and that's. That's one spirit or five or six spirits reaching out to the whole
0: room of others. Well, and also, like when you have they when they play their like number one song that they're known for, and you hear that crowd just singing with them, it just like makes the hair stand up. You telling me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The first time that happened to me, I was in Lubbock, Texas, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I was at the Blue Light uh, playing with the Quails, and our record uh, did really well in college towns particularly the, the college kids really like it Norman's college town. Yeah. Uh, but love it for some reason. Uh, well because they have a, a tight knit musical community that's based around good songwriters. Yeah. Uh, when they take hold of something like they share it with their friends and they tell people about it, they play it in their car. And that one person telling another person, hey, Check this out yeah. that's so much more powerful than ten thousand ads on the internet. Oh yeah. Uh, because that that Puts, puts my art in front of somebody that might appreciate it. And more often than not, especially like that situation, they do. And so we go to Lubbock and we, I'm playing California Open Invitation, which is a song that was never released as a single. It was just a song that was on the album that I wrote in 20, 30 minutes over a cup of coffee. And I start that song. And when I start to sing the first lines, I cannot hear the monitors. Like I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't know if I'm singing good or bad or, or other. And I realized it's because the entire packed out blue light crowd is singing my words, so. me louder than I can hear. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't have to sing. And she's like, That like that's a jaw dropping moment for me yeah. as a human and, and as a musician, and as somebody that has, it's a weird thing to put yourself out there like that. Yeah. Uh, as a songwriter or whatever. And that getting that kind of thing like that just I was on cloud nine for about a week yeah. and a half and just it, so.
0: yeah someone taking the time to get to know your art that well <laughs> that they could
1: sing it back mm-hmm. to you it's, it's as, in, it's as intimate as any lover yeah for sure and on such a massive scale Larry Joe Taylor uh, festival when we headlined uh, was the same way mm-hmm. only it was tens of thousands yeah, yeah. like I, st- I still get, get a little like light thinking about it yeah man what a freaking rush mm-hmm. and there's a few pictures there's a picture of me with a whiskey bottle like, <laughs> held out to the crowd and all you see yeah. yeah and just golly yeah. what a freaking day that was yeah. and then we got in the van and had to drive 36 hours to new york city yeah and boy howdy mm.
0: <laughs> so a crowd like that like what goes through your head before you step on the stage? <laughs> absolutely nothing. Really? <laughs> Just
2: <laughs> absolutely oh. nothing. I, and
1: that's in my like my very favorite thing is, is like somebody introduces you and says your name that you call your stuff, that you worked right. on it for a long time. Yeah. And, and you when you get a hit song on the radio, you're like, how's it feel? This happening so fast. I'm like, man, no, i no. you when it happens that fast. <laughs> and I've been doing this this for for years yeah Uh, but man like no nothing it's i go out and the other thing takes over and the other thing has no fear and has nothing but charisma and panache and and flair and badassness like that's and that's great to to be able to slip into that mask and and become that person for 90 minutes or whatever it's yeah it's, it's like being a superhero
0: so um do you like how long does it take you to calm down after a show
1: (laughs) I'll tell you when I calm down (laughs) Um, I mean like I depends on the show I usually didn't see like I I saw the sun rise more often than not on the road yeah and do still today like I I like being the person of the night Mm -hmm. Uh, my sister's got a line in one of her songs uh, once the once the night gets us the day gigs just won't take us back yeah and gotcha on I yeah on with that and so I, I i accept that schedule and i embrace it and i love it and so yeah man I, I calmed down i you know i'd pass out for a few hours and then i'd get kicked out of the hotels so get back in the van and then i'd maybe sleep in the van maybe not and go sound check and wait and sound check and wait and, <laughs> like, and it was a cycle for years yeah and i loved every freaking minute every mile
0: playing basketball um, after you the adrenaline you know it's oh, over yeah. i'd come home and go to sleep and i would play basketball in my dreams Absolutely. wake up just as I, tired i play
1: shows in my dreams yeah all the time and just like I, and i've played songs on stages in my mind at night mm-hmm. that i haven't written yet yeah mm-hmm. and pull like sometimes i'll be writing a, a tune and i'll pull a line and like that I dreamt that line, mm-hmm. like that came to me in my sleep. Yeah. And was that me? Did I write that? Yeah. Probably not. I caught it, maybe, and yeah. pulled it out of the sky. And the Stephen King has a, a theory about writing uh, that I kind of think is probably as close to real as, as it gets. He's not the writer. He's a conduit. He's a, a person that, that, that takes things and, and puts it in a way that can be understood by the ear of common man or yeah. whatever and I, there's something to that, Yeah, for sure. Joe Pug was talking about that. Love yeah. Joe Pug. Yeah, yeah his uh, podcast is so good. Yeah,
2: uh, he got the name of Color, uh, his latest album. Ah. He got that from a dream. He said he woke up, mm-hmm. and he knew he had to write that down or else he'd
1: forget it. I tell you, a weird, <laughs> I mean, like, songwriting is connected to that. Carl Jung called it the collective unconscious, and I was a union psychology student when I was a psych student for a year uh, at, at a Catholic university, which I learned to sing Gregorian chant, which is another story, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's you dip from the well, and you take what uh, what is offered, and sometimes you get a lot, sometimes you get a little, but there, yeah. but there has to be somebody that's the conduit, and so that's, that's what the writer is, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think um,
0: Paul McCartney wrote the... Um, You know, that line, uh, Mother Mary comes to me because he had a dream about his mother the night
1: before. Sure. Tom Petty uh, wrote Southern Accents, uh, one of my favorite records, and I feel one of the most underrated albums of all time is Tom Petty's Southern Accents. Uh, A song Southern Accents uh, about his mom, and he lost his mother at a kind of younger age. My God, there's a dream I keep having where my mama comes to me, kneels down over by the window and says a prayer for me. Hit, man, that'll mm-hmm. make you want to tear up a little. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Tom Petty, one of the great old, great American songwriters, uh, maybe the greatest. He has one song that I think is less than great and less than impeccable, and it's "Dancing at the Zombie Zoo." It's the last track on his solo album. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. Because he wrote everything else. Yeah. <laughs> like just to a degree. Beyond what even he realized, like I don't even think Tom Petty knew how good Tom Petty was. Yeah. but Damn, was he good. I was in jail. I was in jail when Tom Petty died, and I, I was in jail for like nine days. It was a long story. This was a different time. I've been in jail a couple of times. <laughs> I screw up, it's kind of what I do. But I'm in jail, like I'm having a bad time, and it's really, it's like the last time, and like I'm just so having a, a just a bad checking my sorry <laughs> bad time and I get I finally get out of jail and I smoke a dozen cigarettes <laughs> and I get to my house and Dylan Stewart my, my buddy and fellow songwriter who was in the washhiita was with me in Buffalo Rogers we have, a, we have another three songwriter band uh, Dylan Stewart's there hanging out he's trying to make me feel better or whatever and he's just making conversation and says man sucks about petty and I was like you Excuse me, and he realized in that moment that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the realization and like I knew that Tom Petty was dead and I I broke down and I lost it. And that yeah. was that was when I had my moment like, God Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> like yeah. take, That's, take yeah. some take peter yarrow like yeah. take somebody don't take tom petty
0: <laughs> for me it's it's so weird how like these people and oftentimes i've noticed as people that i haven't met that i feel more close to when they pass away Absolutely. oh yeah um like or
2: they put their heart and their soul in their
0: music i heard a lot of people cried when david bowie died you know yeah. and stuff like you just that art you know is never there's never going to be any more
1: and no, i that's, think that's enough to make it and it and it it lasts forever but it's temporary mm-hmm. yeah and the the artist forever but the artist doesn't last yeah. and Tom Skinner uh, when we lost Tom you know, I was very very sad and I, that was the same time I was in jail again uh, I was in jail when Tom uh, was sick and I got out and I, I kept meaning to go see him and I went to the Blue Door that night and Don Conestini was playing the, the Woody Guthrie wrap up show festival that we had headlined and I got arrested at <laughs> I was having a rough time and I go in, and, and I just, I need something good. I need to watch some good music. My friend Greg Johnson that owns the Blue Door, which is the best music venue maybe in the, in the world, my favorite place to see uh, an artist is the Blue Door right here in Oklahoma City. And Greg Johnson is at the board, and he walks over to me. It's Don Conestini who's playing uh, a song. And Greg put his arm around me and said, Tom Skinner has shed his monkey suit. And I didn't know what that meant for a second. And I looked at him, and I was like, God, Tom's... Tom Skinner. Uh, and uh, I didn't really think about death as life and as a way to bring people together. Uh, but Tom Skinner brought me so much closer to so many people that I know and so many people that I didn't at the time. Uh, I just I just left Mark Ambler's house. Mark Ambler was a guy that worked for Fish and Wildlife. He was a huge music fan. And Jeff, Jeff Haynes was a, a huge fan of music. And one of Tom's best friends. Yeah, And I didn't meet them really until after Tom passed away. I met them at the funeral. Yeah. And uh, man, like, I love those old, those old guys. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> they're they're ridiculous and amazing human beings, the likes of which uh, have never been seen before and never will be again. Yeah. And I'm very close to them now, just because we all knew Tom and Tom all thought we were pretty okay dudes. And so, man, why, why are we not friends when we yeah. are? And, and Tom's death brought a lot of people uh, closer to me and, and a lot of new people and old people. Me and McClure, uh, me and Dylan Stewart spent about two weeks down at the Blue Hatch after Tom passed away just grieving and, and going through old tapes. And Tom recorded a bunch of songs in the, in the crapper. That's where it sounded best. And he was <laughs> practicing, he would just practice his live set and record it. And we had a, a suitcase full of these cassettes, and we were sitting in the dark out in. Mike's backyard and he feels like you're in Jurassic Park, it's overgrown and like kind of a river uh, drainage ditch runs through Mike's property, it's <laughs> beautiful. And we were out there in the dark listening to Tom play songs in his bathroom on a, on a tape. And man, boy, if we didn't, I feel like we were hanging out with him for a while. Uh-huh. And so uh, that made me and Dylan and Mike just closer, especially closer. And I love Mike McClure, I would take a bowl for that man. And he's yeah. one of my favorite songwriters too. He listened to Tom and I listened to Tom and that's, we met because of Tom. Yeah. I went to go see Tom play bass for a, a McClure band gig and that's where I met Mike. And after having listened to Mike's songs, I know where he got that stuff. He says, that's where I got you know, the stuff I stole from Tom. You know, like I stole my good licks and shit from Tom because he was so good and so fun to listen to. And such just a cool dude, he taught me how to live on the road. Yeah. And I that, that, that. That's one thing I love about
2: music is, you know, that's one thing that it'll draw you together. It'll never really push you apart, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's
1: it's it's a community and, and people have their differences and people get in fights and arguments. But at the end of the day, we're all still family and we'd all still die for yeah. one another. Absolutely. So.
0: What's wild is there's always been music as long as there's been humans. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and it's always, been a vessel for the, the story, mm-hmm. and for what we've been and what we've accomplished and what we've failed to accomplish, and it's it's the the great record keeper, the great, you know, it's the one keeping all the all the records, mm-hmm. and the stories, the, the stories that survive because of the people that make that music are just as important, yeah, as the music they make. So,
0: I sent um one of my buddies a uh, like a clip of you singing. <laughs> and he said that um, he goes I'll be danged if that guy couldn't sit in the Irish bar and sing
1: <laughs> you know why it's because my family's Irish yeah. and I, I never once in a million years would have thought that that would come through
0: oh yeah it's general it yeah. and, yeah.
1: and I don't have any control over that I don't have any it just happens and that's where my voice goes and I so like a lot of my immediate family my dad played bass in the 70's a little bit with his yeah. brother when they were growing up they Played music together, but like there wasn't a lot of musicians in the family that exactly. I knew about. My great great grandma, or no, my great grandma uh, played on the, the radio in California for the migrants, yeah, during the dust bowl. And she played oh, finger style uh, guitar and sang. that's awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah and she, she was this, uh, she had Indian some Indian blood in her, and she has this really beautiful long hair, and she would play this classical style guitar and sing folk songs. And, and so, that you know, I think that maybe. Some of her made it made its way down to me skipped a couple of generations yeah. <laughs> and i'm trying to pick it up and trying to be as honest and uh and real with it as i can roll hard or roll not yeah. i don't make any uh illusions about who i am or what i do and i, I don't care to i'd just rather be it and play yeah.
2: and that's one dynamic of your band i really really like is like <laughs> your voice is like honey and yep. the, the other gentleman it, he has like a real whiskey kind of sound of voice, yeah yeah gabe,
1: gabe's got the rough uh, yeah. the roughness and the gruffness yeah. Yeah. It compliments it so yeah exactly, I mean, rough, yeah, exactly. You know. when we sing together that was one thing uh, when me and gabe sang together the first couple of times like we knew that there was something there and mm-hmm. it's just there's uh, I mean, when two people sing together the the tone that, that comes out is He's not one or the other, it's a whole of the parts. Yeah. It's, it, that tickles something inside people's brain. And so, for, I mean, forever I'll, that, that sound, the quail sound will be a huge part of who I am. Yeah. And it's it's great, uh, it, it's not, you, we, nobody got bored. We played a song swap every night and I got to be a lead guitar player for half the time. And then the other half the time I was a lead singer. And yeah. so like, oh, shit, whatever, that's a great deal. Yeah take that yeah um, um, and yeah. god we had so much fun there was no shortage of fun yeah. and no no shortage of insanity and wild times and wouldn't trade any of them so well, they, they got me here and I'm not dead yet yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: well you know listening to you sing it's you like your voice is so unique it's very hard to put you in a genre yeah and I think that's really cool. Oh, it's
1: great. It's fantastic. That's, it doesn't like mm-hmm. coughing all you. I even. don't want to be, yeah, I don't want to get pigeonholed into anything. I don't want to, I mean, like, I, I love the red dirt thing because it's local and it's what we know. And red dirt's red dirt. And I am that, but I'm not only that. Like, I'm, I, I want to branch out and hit those other markets and hit other people because there's a whole lot of people out there. And there's a few of them that like the stuff I make. And yeah. I'm really, really lucky for that. And I, I know how lucky I am to be able to screw around and write songs for a living. And it, it, I don't make a lot of money. I, you know, Tom Skinner taught me, you, know, you can make hundreds, literally hundreds of dollars a year <laughs> in music. So uh, I'm living that uh, to the fullest for sure. But yeah, whatever. Would, better than being a desk. Yeah.
2: Or a uniform.
1: God, gag me with a
0: stick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, a lot of... uh, I see a lot of... uh, Like, Zach Brown Band is a very good um, example. Um, You know, when he veered off from country, he was almost, like, crucified
1: for it. Well, yeah, and, like, Zach Brown... uh, I'm not as into his music uh, as I am to other people's, but he found a way to bridge the gap between a... A songwriter, and a popular songwriter, and mm. one word make all the difference in the world as far as paying your bills on time, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm able to do this because I I have structured my life that I don't need a lot of money, I don't have a lot of stuff, I don't make a lot of payments. I'm, I don't need that stuff. What I have, what I need is out there. Yes, yeah. it's, it's doing the weird thing that I do. Yeah,
0: it also and, helps you to be light and travel a lot too, and I have it, I've seen stuff. so
1: many places. and being with the band, sometimes you go out and all you see of a place. All I saw Chicago the second time I went was the alley, the venue that we went. We got there and I'd slept, slept all the way. I woke up, and I loaded my gear in and we ate and I played the show, loaded my gear out and went back to bed. <laughs> and then I was in somewhere else. And like, so sometimes you don't get to experience this, but sometimes you get to screw around for a day and like, God damn, like I've been to New York City, I've played in Queens and Manhattan and like... That to me was was just mind-boggling mm-hmm. to to realize that shit, our music got us there and like yeah. it got me to the Caribbean on a cruise with Delbert McClinton who played with the Beatles. Yeah. And like he slapped me on the back and told me I was good at what I did. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. You know, like, <laughs> Thanks, Del. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> he called personally. He called our our booking agent uh, to book that cruise. He does. It's called Sandy Beaches, and he does it every year. And he takes. Songwriters and bands. Uh, I think the year we went, like Leroy Cornell went, the band of heathens. Uh, oh, yeah, I like uh, them. Yeah, oh man, so <laughs> freaking good. Um, just a, a great kept mold, like a great yeah. lineup of, of people played that cruise, and we were lucky enough to, to get paid to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And God, like that, I ain't looking no gift to in the mouth. Like, yeah. thanks, Delbert, like that was <laughs> a good time. And man, like, we got to do a lot of stuff and see a lot of places play in Nashville like you know uh, which really just sucked the first time but that's okay <laughs> um, and the, the people that we've got to meet like Ray Wiley Hubbard is a big damn Quails fan and he's, I've got Ray Wiley's number in my phone and I call him and yeah. shoot the shit and do sometimes Ray's Ray's a, an icon he's a legend and he's been doing this for longer than I've been alive Yeah. <laughs> like and not only doing it, thriving at it and yeah. being able to, to meet those people and talk to Cody Canada uh, to all those guys got Cody Canada was so good to us as the Quails, we went on tour with them dozens of times they always took care of us, they made fun of us a little bit <laughs> uh, we had good times together and I'll never forget that and it feels good to know that, that kind of validation from people that you look up to or whatever yeah yeah. Uh, it's, it's got
0: to be a weird feeling like, oh man it's so
1: <laughs> weird but but so cool and when we yeah. went out with the departed uh those couple of times we've been out with a lot of bands and bands like josh abbott band cool as shit to us like yeah. very cool very nice they gave us money they didn't have to and treated us like like real musicians mm-hmm. and real people uh as opposed to just some kids opening up the show you yeah. know yeah uh, but and the the first night we played with The Departed, like we're playing and we're playing our set. And I look over and like, Cody Canada's playing guitar with us. And like, hey, hey man, like, hey, all right. And like, and if the rest of the tour and the rest of the tours after that, every night Cody Canada would come out and play songs with us. So and cool. then he would invite us to come play songs with him. And like, ah oh, man, so you like, like you know how many people that guy's played for? Like, yeah. golly. And just so down to earth and so so freaking cool. And uh, you know, have had a few bad experiences with some some kind of douchebaggery. And there's there's bad apples in every bunch, but for the most part, man, the people that I've hung out with and played with have been really cool to me. Yeah. And I appreciate that more than I can say. Being being what I am.
0: That's one thing I wanted to say um, to our listeners, especially is. Um, just from knowing you from the short time that we've met you you're super (laughs) humble and you're not afraid to um talk about like your where you learn from someone sure because i I see it i mean it's it's you know you're it's kind of rare like in some circles (laughs) there's a lot of guys that you know you, you talk to them and they're like yeah yeah I'm the best um, right
1: and, and yeah. I, oh, yeah, uh, I, I ship solid you. gold yeah <laughs>
0: and they don't want to say well yeah you know I played with this guy and I got this from him
1: right and then, no man like sure I'm uh, I, I'm just lucky I'm lucky to, to get to do what I do and I'm lucky that people think that the stuff I do is cool and like that, that wasn't all me and you know maybe not even mostly me like uh, you, you get where you get in life because of the people that support you and the people that help you out. Yeah. And there's there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that and, and saying thanks every once in a while. And I yeah. Just, yeah. Thanks, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's, it's fun to talk about stuff that I've done. And you know, sometimes you start to you start to sit around and sit at home throwing axes and throw an stuff. <laughs> and can, like, did it even matter? Did I did I affect anything or did I do anything that that continues out beyond me? And like maybe I did. So. <laughs> Yeah,
0: totally fine with that. Oh, we're really <laughs> grateful that you came Absolutely. on. Oh uh, shit,
1: anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm fun with Buffalo. That'll be a good one. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, god, there's so many things I could have you ask him about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. man. Yeah, you know, you have
0: you a good one with Buffalo. Anytime. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah, we're we're excited about that too. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny we started off kind of just um and like oh well we'll
1: talk to a few people from where we're from and yeah. then it kind of the snowballed girl that was on there Lacey powers yeah very uh very good it's very good i listened to some of that episode about the painting oh um, oh hillary hillary hillary, hillary. Yeah. Yeah. hillary. <laughs> wonderful
0: yeah she's she's awesome
2: and i have to admit something on that episode i screwed up on the colors <laughs> because i was wearing earphones with the, excuses
1: yeah and so
2: i was on delay and
1: yeah. Listen, when <laughs> it comes to screwing up colors, yeah, I know a lot about that <laughs> because yeah. I am both left-handed and colorblind. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a red-green colorblind to, to the the highest degree you can be without being actual black and white. Oh wow. So I can. Yeah, yeah. I used to get uh, paid by the FAA to uh, test their flight control software because yeah. if you are a colorblind person, cannot work for air traffic control. Uh, I'm living proof of that because I killed many, many uh, simulated people with scientists just watching me like, this is great! (laughs) I was like, I just killed two planes of people! (laughs) They're like, yeah, this is all kinds of data (laughs) from this! And they, one time they they set me at the end of a hallway that was, God, it had to be a half mile long. And they had a person at the end of the hallway with a gun, like a a radar gun or like a laser gun. And it had different color lenses and they would flash a color and I would have to tell them what color I thought that color was. And most of the time I was like, blue? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, sure, uh, yeah, so yeah, I know about the colors. these screw up colors, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Give yourself a break. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. hearing yeah. test. Yeah, yeah. The hearing
0: <laughs> test was similar, like you sit in this booth and they play these little beeps. Yeah.
1: Well, after a while, p- I started p- oh. just
0: hearing stuff. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that was a beep. That was." And they're probably like, this dude is <laughs> <Are> crazy. You, <laughs> sir, are
1: you hallucinating? Um, <laughs> because it's so quiet. PCP before oh, getting in the... <laughs> I, I would fail miserably a hearing <laughs> test. I should have listened to my dad. Uh, I love my dad to death. When I was a kid, you know, my dad was like, you probably ought to wear some earplugs. Yeah. Uh, you're going to go deaf one of these days. I was like, "Man, screw that. Earplugs are dumb. Yeah, yeah. they're not and cool. And now, now no. I watch TV with the captions on. Yeah. So <laughs> my dad was right. Yeah. It's
0: funny how, you know, that hindsight works. Yeah. Oh, hindsight. Surely 2020,
2: <laughs> maybe 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well, so well. Some we- lessons are easy the first time. Some take... Four or five yeah, I'm one of those four or five times uh, yeah. kind
0: of guys. You're just learning it really well. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Learn as you go, that's what I always
1: say.
0: But, yeah, you're welcome to come back anytime. Yeah. Hey, yeah,
1: yeah. give yeah. me a call, man. I'm, I'll come eat some sausage and uh, anytime. Yeah. Thank I'm you.
0: sure you've got thousands more stories. <laughs> oh, so. uh,
1: okay. tens, probably tens yeah. of thousands. Yeah.
2: But, yeah. It's yeah. like we say with every episode, we feel like we just barely scratched the surface. Man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. If you ever wanna plumb a well, just give me a holler. There you go. <laughs> Alright.
2: Alright guys, well, uh, this is Diner Discussions and uh, this is what, Thursday? We should have the episode up either tonight or tomorrow or sometime. You know, you're probably listening
1: to this on Friday. Yeah. Here we come from the past. <laughs> you tell me you of the future. Of <laughs> so uh,
2: we'll see y'all later and y'all have a great day and goodbye.